Today, I want to tell you about someone named Sam Bankman Freed. Sam is 28 years old. He sleeps in a beanbag chair overnight, and he's actually become a very wealthy person. His net worth is about $10 billion. But no one really knew him outside of cryptocurrency circles until last year. That's when Sam Bankman Freed gave millions of dollars to groups supporting Joe Biden and suddenly turned a lot of heads. Sam's an interesting guy. He represents a new breed of entrepreneurs who think almost obsessively about becoming rich. That's because he has a two-part plan to his life. Part one, make a tremendous amount of money. And part two is to give away that money by any means necessary. Sam is a fascinating character, and here's an excerpt of our conversation that we had recently. Uh, Hope you enjoy. Hey, so let's just start with like the numbers here. You think your net worth is around ten billion dollars? Is that right? But I, I think ten is like it's a reasonable number to use. I think it's like I, I think it's sort of like the right number if you want to only include things that are like pretty defensible. And when you're thinking about the company and frankly about your net worth yourself, is your objective just to maximize the amount of money, just to maximize your net worth? It's a good question, and I think the answer is. Closer to yes than no. The core plan is still like, you know, ultimately donate as much as I can. And then most of what I'm going to do now that matters is maximizing the amount that I can make that will lead to that. I think the way that it has moved is that I'm like way more willing now to sacrifice money for what I see is like longer term value. And, and, you know, mostly that means flowing through to longer term more amounts of money. So your point of view is that the best way to achieve change, right, is to make money in phase one and then give it away in phase two. And that's really interesting to me because, you know, maybe this is kind of crass, but it's not in line with a lot of Silicon Valley thinking about corporate social responsibility, you know, even corporate entities like the Business Roundtable, right, say that running a business is not all about maximizing shareholder value. Um, That's another way of saying it's not all about getting rich. And is it fair to say that you disagree with that line of thinking? I disagree that it's the best way to think. Now, I think it's better than what might be the alternative in some of those cases, which would be maximizing shareholder value with no eye towards long-term making the world a better place. I, I think it's better than nothing. And I think, like, you know, in general, doing good is good, you know, how, however it comes. But, but what I think more strongly than that is that, like, if you want to try and do as much good as you can, it's usually not the best decision to like try and take this sort of middle of the road, like try and make some money, but also try and, you know, do some good with the job type thing. And that you just do worse than picking one or the other. And that like, you know, if what you're trying to do is, is donate, you should make as much as you can and give as much as you can. And if what you're trying to do is have direct impact, not through donations, then you should think about what career allows you to have the most direct impact and go straight to that. So you're sort of like an unabashed capitalist, right? You believe people should make money. Um, I write a lot about billionaires in America, and there's a lot of shyness about wealth that I find. Like Even the idea of being a billionaire is not something that people necessarily want to acknowledge. Even the word billionaire has become charged in a weird way. Absolutely. It absolutely has. I, I think I feel more comfortable you know, with, with it in some senses than I otherwise would because of the donations. It gives me a thing to, to, to say, but the thing about effective altruism, about donating, 
is that in the end, it doesn't matter who does it. But like, it doesn't matter if it's me who does it or if it's someone else. And so it, it, it softens, I think, it, it softens the notion of wealth in some ways. Okay, so you give $5 million to the super PAC supporting Joe Biden called Future Forward. You become, out of nowhere, at least one of the biggest disclosed donors in the country. Did that surprise you? It still shocks me that the world is such that that is true. Even though I sort of knew already that that's how it was, it, it's a really bizarre fact. And, and it's just like, you know, that shouldn't be true. My prior, if I didn't know anything about this, would have been that, like, um, you know, it's sort of like there'd be at least one person giving, like, you know, five to 10 billion per cycle. And, like, there'd be a bunch giving up, up one to 500 million and just a shit ton giving 10 million. And, and, and that, like, 1 million would be, like, number like 300 or something. And it's sort of surprising to me and remains quite surprising how not true that is. You know, the thought of being someone who has $50 billion of completely liquid wealth that's just been sitting there for like years, that, that like, you know, you don't find anything to do with like, you know, a hundred million of it in like a big moment. It's just like, I mean, that's obviously like an enormous amount for most people, but for some people in the country, that's it's a rounding error. So, Sam, I'm curious to hear how you thought about that as an effective altruist. How did you think about doing the most good with your money? And how did getting rid of Trump figure into that? You know, you basically said, I'm going to put seven or eight million dollars behind getting rid of Trump rather than, you know, reducing factory farming or any of the other kind of effective altruist causes that are important to you. So I guess my question is, how do you compare getting rid of Trump against other worthy investments? My goal is just to find out how I can, you know, do the most good. And, um, and sort of had like a long list of things to look at, at least briefly. And, and politics is always on that list. And it's like fairly skeptical of it. And so it sort of had the hallmarks of something that would be just like overcrowded, not that impactful and like a sort of like trap for dollars in general. Um, and, and so that's sort of what I thought before looking into it. So did you compare donating to a super PAC to other causes on like a dollar per dollar, pound per pound scale? Yeah. So once it's sort of gotten to the point of like, oh, wow, this is like surprisingly impactful, then it's, then it's like, all right, I, I should actually do this calculation. Like how impactful is it, you know, who wins a particular election, particularly the presidency in this case? And how much impact does, you know, $1 have on that? What would have more impact on the world like? you know, X number of, of factory farmed animals being saved or thinking about some number of lives saved from malaria versus, you know, something on the scales of, of the presidency of the United States. And there are a lot of ways to think about this. One thing you can think about is the budget. Maybe you think one candidate will spend the budget, you know, 10% better than the other or something. The budget is at this point, you know, like $20 trillion over the course of a presidency, uh, and so that gives you, you know, then like a few trillion dollars as an estimate. Now, obviously, that's sort of like silly in some senses because it's ignoring any part of the presidency that isn't the budget. But it's also assuming that the president can actually decide what goes in the budget. They are not the only cook in the kitchen on that. But that that gives you some approach, right? And so now you're like, all right, like this is the number of sort of dollars of impact, you know, that you could have through doing this. And that's what you did. Yeah. And that wasn't I don't think that's exactly the thing I care about. But it was a way to start to get a grip on what the scale of this was and at least one attempt to estimate the impact. 
One of the big criticisms of effective altruism, this belief that you have, uh, is that it doesn't have enough of a race-based analysis or doesn't consider race enough uh, when making funding decisions. And I wonder how you reckon with that. As someone who has a lot of money and can do a lot of good with it, how do you think about race in your philanthropy? A lot of what I think about is, you know, the most sort of neglected areas um, because those tend to be the areas that there's not going to be anyone else looking at. And so I'll tend to focus on areas that, that have a lot less of a public presence. And then one thing that I do think is a big blind spot, in addition to that of a lot of people, is um, is different countries and, and continents and stuff. And I think that, like, you know, one thing that a lot of people miss is, you know, the enormous amount of good that you can do in Africa, for instance. That's where sort of the most underserved globally are and where, you know, there's, there's often the lowest hanging fruit in terms of, being able to make people's lives better. Okay, so you're thinking about what's underserved, as you said, but like, is it fair to say that you don't have a race-based approach to giving? I'm not looking explicitly in those terms, but you know, I do think that being underserved can often be a pretty decent indication of it being the right place to help. So last thing for me, when you see that some rich person has given uh, you know, a ton of money to Stanford or to Oxford or wherever else, like, what's your gut reaction? What's the first thing you think about? I sort of have two reactions all at once. One of which is like, oh, come on. Like, really? Like, you're, that's where you're giving it? Like, you think that that is the place where, like, you know, you can do most, the most good in the world. And it's like, seems so implausible. And it's, it's, you know, halfway between a donation and just sort of, you know, some, some weird sort of consumption for rich people. But at the same time, I, I also sort of have the, the response of like, look, like, I don't know, like, I'm probably happier that they did that than that they didn't give anything. And like, you never, people never shit on the, the random rich dude who never gives anything. They sort of get off scot-free. Well, sometimes they do. Sometimes they, sometimes they do. But I feel like a little bit uncomfortable if I end up being harsher on the people who give ineffectively than the people who give not at all. And I don't exactly know how to reconcile those two. Right. Obviously, there's this broader backlash to big philanthropy that I write about. Some people feel it discourages donations at all. And then the question they have is like, well, what do you want me to do instead? Like, go buy a yacht? Exactly. Um, and, 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 and that's sort of how I end up feeling. It's like, I don't want to be the one to encourage, you know, sort of indiscriminate backlash against philanthropy if that's what shitting out the sense of doing. And so I, so I end up just sort of feeling like, whatever, ignore this and, and, you know, treat it the same as if it were consumption. If you want to hear more of my conversation with Sam Bankman-Fried, head over to recode.net where you can read our full conversation. And I hope you enjoy. Thanks so much.